I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Coming up today, shocking scenes in the glass house here at Wisley as giant house plants appear to be staging a coup d'etat. Plus, we'll be returning to Reading to visit the charity Thrive, who have been working with garden lovers affected by sight loss. They've identified simple but incredibly effective techniques to help gardeners with sight loss continue to garden. These ideas promise real hope to thousands of people that visual impairment need not be an impairment for pursuing a love of gardening. But first, are you on trend? I'm Guy Barter, Chief Horticulturist here at the RHS. This afternoon I'm sitting in a nice warm office here at Wisley while outside a winter storm lashes down with gusts of wind and pouring rain. I'd like to stay here all afternoon but instead I'm going to take you on a walk round the gardens here at RHS Wisley. We're going to start off in the fruit glass house where we grow our vines and fig collection and then on to the plant centre here at Wisley where we sell an amazing range of plants before finishing up at the new display that's being assembled in the glass house range. In my role, I've always got my eye on changing patterns in the world of gardening and my ear to the issues that are of deepest concern to gardeners. From soil scientists to community and education coordinators, entomologists, specialist gardeners and online advisors, every day I speak to people who are passionate about plants and that includes our fruit team who grow all our fruit here at Wisley. Just recently, I've written an article about new fruit called New Fruits on the Plot, which is available on the RHS website. So let's take a stroll over to the fruit glass house where the collection of figs and vines are growing and the staff are busy working today. Well, despite it being a wet and windy, blustery winter day, I took a stroll round the garden and I've ended up in the glass house in the fruit garden. And the whole of the fruit garden department are all here. They say it's an urgent job painting their trees and tending to their vines, but I think they're just getting out of the rain. Anyway, now we're here and we're surrounded by lovely figs. We've got a whole fig collection here. There's stone fruit behind me, apricots, for example. And next door is the Wisley indoor vines, which are a sight to see. While I'm here amongst all the amazing fruit, I just thought I'd like to talk about the new trends in fruit growing. For example, a dwarf bushy mulberry has been bred called Charlotte Russ, and although it won't replace the proper 
mulberry tree, which takes a long time to grow, takes up a lot of space and uh, crops abundantly, it is an interesting and unusual form of soft fruit. Speaking of interesting and small forms, there's dwarf raspberries as well. There's one called ruby, and it's been around for a few years now. You'd think a dwarf raspberry wouldn't crop enough to be worthwhile, but it's been very popular and it's still being grown. Another interesting new fruit berry is called a honeyberry, which unbelievably is a kind of honeysuckle. And it's a bushy honeysuckle and produces fruits that are blue. Well, you'd expect that really. And they are very similar to blueberries, with a similar taste and high in vitamins. But unlike blueberries, don't need an acid soil to grow, so they should be much easier. But it's a new crop as yet and the jury is still out. Despite that, there's some interesting cultivars on offer. So any gardener who's interested to try something new could do work and attempt a few honeyberries. Beyond that, in 2020, trends that I see as being important include soil and uh, soil science, wildlife gardening, plastics, sustainability generally, and growing your own food, particularly legumes like chickpeas and haricot beans. We'd love to hear what gardening and planty plans you have for 2020. You can share photos, thoughts, questions and comments on trends or any aspect of gardening via Twitter or Instagram, find us at the underscore RHS. To help us find your posts more quickly, please tag them hashtag RHS podcast. But I hear you say, what about plant fashions, or rather fashions in plants? As a January lull gives the gardener a dangerously long time to gaze at the catalogues and websites in anticipation of upcoming purchases, what plants have been popular hits recently? And what do experts predict will be the plants of the moment in 2020? Here I am in the new plant centre here at Wisley on a wet and windy day, meeting Duncan McLean, senior plant buyer for all the RHS plant centres. Duncan, tell us a bit about your role here. As the senior plant buyer, I'm in charge for the ranging of all of the plants that we sell in our plant centres across the country, as well as seeds, outdoor pots, chemicals, fertilisers, all things gardening, really, for retail. So, Duncan, what are the factors that make plants popular? I think the single biggest factor is how easy they are to grow, because ultimately... The customers who visit us are really split in two. You have the real connoisseurs who know exactly what they want, whereas other people might have been inspired by what they've seen in the garden. So that's a real call to action. But ultimately, I think it's the result. So the customer, if they've had a good experience with the plant that they've planted as a relative novice, the plant has flourished, it's grown, it's done exactly what they expected it to do. Quite often it will have exceeded their expectations, in which case that gives them a lot more confidence to come back and have a go with something that's a little bit more different. And I'm a great believer in plants grow. That's their job. That's what they do. The general public tend to think that there's a bit of mystique or they need to be a little bit special or have some special magic powers to make plants grow. But, you know, I'm seeing with a lot of my non-gardening friends, they are having a go and they're coming back and saying, you know, I grew peas and beans with my children and they grew and we ate them. That's great. I'm going to try some chilies next year. 
how about some tomatoes? What can we do next? So it's really exciting for me to see people who are really having a go, getting great results, and they're taking really good advice. And uh, when your friends are asking you for tips, are there any particular plants that you'd suggest for the ones who are not quite expert gardeners yet, ones that um, you reckon would please them? Chilies are a great favourite of mine because they love the sunshine, they don't mind being a little bit on the dry side and they perform late in the summer. So when you're out there enjoying the garden, you can reflect on the chilli that you planted in April and talk about how it's grown and how you fed it and maybe after a glass of wine you'll get a little bit adventurous and just see how hot they are. So now, Duncan, the $64,000 question, what are the trends for 2020? For this year, I see a real trend in indoor ferns. I would expect to see a huge growth in ferns as people appreciate that they're very versatile, they're very adaptable, they don't only grow in shade in the downstairs loo, they're pretty cool and there's a huge range available. I expect the grow your own movement to continue. I don't think that bubbles burst by any means. People will get more and more excited and more and more adventurous as they realise that vegetables are pretty forgiving and they perform incredibly well. If I was to pull something out of the bag and have a flyer, I'd say Lagostromia. They're exciting me at the moment. It's a large shrub, a small tree that flowers in the summertime, so late June into July. It's the kind of plant that you would associate with your Mediterranean holiday and you'd probably think that it wouldn't do in your garden. However, they are reputedly hardy to minus 12, quite well suited to growing in the southeast or maybe a little bit further north if you have some shelter. I'd say if you could grow some of the red cordylines successfully in your garden, you should certainly have a go with a Lagostromia. You'll impress your, your friends and you'll impress yourself as well. In a minute, I'm going to head off out into the rain and the wind to see Emma Allen over in the RHS Wisley Glass Houses where she's setting up the Great House Plant Takeover. Is there anything here, Duncan, that you think is particularly relevant to the stuff that she's promoting over there? It certainly is. We're incredibly excited about the giant houseplant takeover and we are trying our best to emulate a lot of the elements here in the plant centre so we will have platycerum fern that they'll have in the glass house we'll have that in various shapes and sizes we'll also have lots and lots of other ferns available the echeverias that they have arranged into picture frames we'll have all of those plants available we're kind of trying to do a mini giant houseplant takeover here in the the houseplant centre at Wisley so we are incredibly excited about it well, before we head out into this raging gale and rain that's pouring down outside, I'd just like to say thank you very much, Duncan, for tearing yourself away from your busy tasks and keeping our plant centre stocked with lovely plants. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Well, here I am on a wet and windy day, having walked across Wisley through the gales and the puddles and come into the greenhouse where it's a sheltered oasis of calm there's a bird calling in the background that slipped in here from the outside and you can't blame it on such a horrible day and amazingly here in the glasshouse display area which is often used for events and occasions an enormous construction is taking place there's carpenters painters interior designers all assembling what looks like a stage set so i'm here with emma allen who's the garden manager for this area the glasshouse area at wisley and um, i'm hoping she can explain what on earth is going on so emma tell us a bit about what this project involves 
we originally thought let's have some rooms dotted around the glass house um, and then we felt uh, one of the team thought that was a bit too separated so he thought why not bring it all together and build a house and have a house in the middle of the glass house and the idea is all the human inhabitants have left and the house plants have taken over so should we go into the house we'll go into the front door This looks remarkably like a, a film set or a, a stage set. We had no idea you were so good with hammer and nails. How have you gone about building this amazing creation of rooms? There's no roof, there's shelves everywhere, there's even a fireplace. It's an amazing accomplishment. You must be amazingly talented. Tell us how you did it. Well, it's not just me, Guy. <laughs> so we've got a really uh, talented set designer that we've worked with on a couple of the Christmas displays. And we talked to him about it and he can build us a house because he is a set designer. So it's like the kind of set you might find on a television studio. Built all the uh, wooden walls and the staircase. We're currently standing in the entrance hallway opposite the staircase. And we've now got the scenic painters in, so they are doing all the painting, so they're getting it to look like faded elegance when it's finished. Putting undercoat on and top coats on at the moment, but there's the creative work still to do. And we're also, we've done a lot of shopping, so what I've done is an awful lot of shopping at auctions and eBay and all kinds of places to get slightly tatty looking pieces of furniture as well, because we are going to spoil them by growing plants out of them. I understand that when this is finished, this is all going to go into the extension for your new house. Is this true? If only it was. <laughs> Sadly, no. <laughs> so the staircase, there's a staircase there that goes to nowhere. What's going to happen with that? So the idea with that is it, it gives the impression that we're going to another level and we're going to have lots of climbers tumbling down there, things like Epipremnum, Tradescantia, that kind of plant will be falling down the stairs. Uh, each room's got its own character and design so the living room which has got the lovely fireplace over there that's mainly shade tolerant plants and as it's a, a lounge we're featuring on things like the parlor palm to have a bit of fun with that and the parlor palm will be probably playing chess with cacti and succulents but we'll also have things like clivia in the fireplace with their vibrant orange flowers we're having a bit of fun with that the rooms, are they going to have plants that are appropriate to the rooms in visitors' dwellings? So if they walk into the kitchen of this amazing set, will they find plants that would do well in the average kitchen? There's a bit of that going on. I mean, obviously, it depends on the aspect of the rooms that people have uh, in their homes. So not everyone's kitchen faces the right way. Some people might have a shady kitchen. Some people might have a bright kitchen. Some people have a large kitchen or a small kitchen. So that has an effect, I think. But for example, we will be having moisture-loving plants in the bathroom. And in the kitchen, we're having a bit of fun instead with more carnivorous plants climbing over meat cutters instead. So we're, we're, we're doing that. I see. Well, lead on to the bedroom then, Emma. So we're in the bedroom now. In here we've got a, a four-poster bed, why not? And the feature plant in here will be bromeliads. So we're basically going to make the mattress or the duvet and pillows out of vibrantly coloured bromeliads, maybe Talanzia climbing up the posts. And then we'll also have a lovely little mirrored table in here, perhaps with a nice big bromeliad, miring themselves in the mirror. And then we've also got a little bedside table to go in. So, you know, it's very much in the construction phase, but that's where we're going with this. So we could call this a bromeliad boudoir. Could indeed. <laughs> but, but, um, and are you going to have air plants dangling from your four-poster here? 
yes, we will have a few Talanzia here as well, but we're also going to make them a feature of another part of the display, which is outside of the house. We're just coming into the dining room, but on the way into the dining room will be the kitchen, which doesn't look very much like a kitchen at the moment. We've got the kitchen unit there, but on top of this there'll be a sink and we've got to have copper pots and pans and utensils hanging down. There'll be a window covering that section of the green wall to make it look like you're looking out onto a Victorian urban street. And then the Nepenthes will be climbing up the copper pots and pans. There may be some other small carnivorous plants in there like pinguicula. And the Nepenthes, did you say Nepenthes? They're the pitcher plants, aren't they? Am I saying it right? Nepenthes. And are they a tender pitcher plant? They are indeed. Most house plants are tender. So most of the plants you'll see in this display, I wouldn't advise growing outside, uh, particularly in winter. You might get away with some of them in summer. But it's the tropical pitcher plant and it's a climber. So we've had the bromeliad boudoir. We've had the carnivorous kitchen. Where are we going next, Emma? We're going into the succulent dining room now. So um, in here, we'll find... Uh, Around the dining table, we'll put some very large succulents uh, into the dining chairs. So things like Euphorbia ingens or Sansevieria, which, as you might know, is mother-in-law's tongue. And they will be sitting in the chairs around the dining table. And in an ironic twist, they will be feasting on little carnivorous plants in cupcakes and teacups uh, as well. So they'll be feasting on perhaps the Venus flytrap, maybe some very small Saracenia, which is the American pitcher plant. And also we might have some uh, mini cacti in cupcake cases as well. So just to remind us, when do you hope to open this amazing houseplant takeaway? We don't hope to. We kind of have to open it on Saturday the 25th of January. And the day before we'll have a press preview. So we have another uh, week to build this. That is quite a tall order. Let's not detain you too much. Let's go and look at the last room. So the last room we've come into is the bathroom. As I said earlier, this is where we will be having moisture-loving plants. The feature plant will be bathing in a lovely old Victorian bath with the old cast-iron feet on the bottom. And this will be a platycerium or staghorn fern, which will be bathing in there. There'll be a shower head coming out of the waterfall behind. The bath is kind of floating in the pool underneath the waterfall. We've got bathroom tiles on the way in that will have ferns popping out of them. And we've also got a bathroom sink. So again, this is because it's a bathroom, it will be plants that like moisture. So focusing mainly on ferns in here, but I imagine there are some additional extras too. This is amazing because the bath is actually sitting beneath the waterfall here. Will you be having the waterfall running during the houseplant display? Yes, we will. And they've got a lovely uh, copper shower head popping out of the waterfall above the bath. I presume that um, soap is prohibited in case it turns into a, a bubble bath. Yeah, there's no foam parties in here. <laughs> Don't think the plants would like it, although it sounds fun. We're walking around the glass house now and here in the dry succulent zone where Emma's wonderful collection of cacti are growing, there's the arboriculturalists working on, the, on a wall. Surprising to see the arboriculturalists indoors. It's even more surprising to see them hanging pictures. And if my eyes don't mistake me, these pictures are composed of plants. Emma, what on earth is going on? We decided that we're, instead of hanging pictures of plants, we'd actually make the pictures out of plants. So we've got some old picture frames, built a wooden box on the back, and then put a wire mesh in front of the box, screwed it all together to the original frame, 
filled it with compost and then cut away little bits of the mesh to enable us to plant in echeveria. You can use other succulents, but we've chosen to go with echeveria. It's an incredibly diverse genus, really easy to use for this. They're ever so easy to propagate as well. And we've made various pictures with them. So we've got 10 all together and uh, our talented arboriculturists are hanging them as we speak. So, I mean, these are some amazing colours in these echeverias, which, if listeners don't know, are tight, rosette, succulent plants. What colours have you involved here, Emma? Uh, so there's quite a lot of silvery blue colours, and then there's sort of more red and pink uh, echeveria as well. There's one that's quite furry, too, that's been used. And then one picture, actually, is a Japanese picture called The Wave. That's the only one based on an actual picture. They had a bit of fun with that. But the rest are all abstract, but all still rather beautiful and interesting. Well, it looks an amazing display. It helps, of course, having four strong arboriculturalists to lift these heavy displays and hang them on the walls. Good heavens, Emma, you are on trend. Look at all these little glass containers full of plants. Very, very much at the moment. Tell us a bit about them. These are what we call terrarium. They're like a mini glass house. And we're planting them up with a variety of ferns and bromeliads and mainly little tropical plants. Because they're semi-enclosed, they have a little window to plant into and they're made from glass and metal. And then we're going to hang these. We've got probably just over 80-odd. We're going to hang them in our tropical part of the glass house as an avenue, all at eye level so the visitor will be able to see them properly. And I see you've got five people working away here and they're filling up glass cases of these little terrariums that are about 8 or 10 inches tall. Are they nearly at the end now or are there great boxes of terrariums yet to be assembled and filled? It looks like they're getting quite close to the end. They've made great progress today, so they've done very well. Thank you very much, everyone. So, why are indoor plants having such a resurgence? And what, as Monty Python once said, have houseplants ever done for us? In a fortnight, we're gathering together three renowned houseplant experts to discuss such questions and celebrate domestic flora. Wisley curator Matthew Pottage pours the tea and rearranges the spider plants for legendary plantswoman, author and gardening question time panellist Anne Swivenbank and award-winning garden writer and broadcaster Jane Perrone. And this is an extra special podcast because you'll be able to hear it with Jane Perrone's On The Ledge. If you're not familiar with her fabulous plant podcast, why not check it out after you've finished listening to this? In a recent episode, we visited the charity Thrive in Reading to hear about their incredible work changing people's lives through gardening. Some of Thrive's transformative work has been helping people with sight loss continue to work in and enjoy plants and gardens. We asked them to share some practical tips to help those with visual impairment, useful and reassuring to the thousands of gardeners who fear losing their passion for plants and ability to get growing. So I'm Damien Newman and I'm the Training Education and Consultancy Manager. 
there's so many tips and ideas of how you can be successful in gardening in spite uh, you know with the challenge of sight loss one of the main things you can do in a garden for people with sight loss is create a permanent noise maker so in our sight loss garden here at Thrive we have a water feature that makes enough noise so it can be heard from anywhere in the garden and this means that no matter how the noises in the garden change over the seasons there's a single permanent reminder of orientation for that person so they can find their way around the garden other things for people with sight loss for example would be about how we can perhaps use different colors to differentiate between bed and pathway really quite clearly yellow and other very hot colors can still be visible to people even with quite progressed sight loss so trying to think about key positioning of plants that bloom with those colors or provide those colors through stem and leaf color can be quite valuable other things might be about changing a little bit about the way you garden so um, it might be that when you sow your own seeds you're using larger seed and therefore buying in plug plants for the seeds that are really quite fiddly and difficult to manage or thinking about how you might change to growing things that can be broadcast sown rather than necessarily things that have to be sown very precisely one or two centimeters apart from each other and things like this then some of the other sort of more practical things would be unlike most of us having your shed in good order so things are always exactly where you expect them to be so things are always put back in the right place and I think anybody with sight loss knows how important that is not just from gardening but from everyday life being able to find things in the kitchen and so on so good organization within a garden and this requires everybody else who's using that space to understand how that person's got their garden organized and then we're thinking about the actual plants themselves in terms of their height and spread and their color and form and things like this so you might end up gardening with plants that are a little bit taller than you have done previously so looking at heights and spreads of maybe a height of uh, 80 centimetres up to sort of 1.8 and 2 metres high, which means that the plant can be quite close to us when we're working on it. Working at ground level with sight loss might be a little bit more difficult. It might be about putting uh, yellow insulation tape around some of our tools and things like this so that if we do put them down on the soil that we can find them again. Or it might be about putting wristbands on some of our tools so that we don't end up with them dropping on the floor anywhere and things like this all the way down to thinking about how we can sow seeds with sight loss for example so modular trays make sowing seeds with sight loss much much easier and with a little bit of thought somebody can get into the habit of using one hand to remain on the seed tray at all times so that as the other hand places the seed into that module then the hand can move on to the next module and then another seed can come over and so on snaking up and down the modular seed tray enabling somebody to do this there are just so many tips and ideas that are very dependent on what style of gardening you're doing there is some good generic advice like organized sheds and thinking carefully about what you're going to do in the garden and collecting all your tools at once there are these very generic ways that we can support people to garden but so much is dependent on the particular site condition so much is dependent upon the garden in which people find themselves as to what is likely to work best and what might not so without doubt, I mean, you can come to us at Thrive and we have all the resources that we produce with the RNIB National Blind Gardeners Club are still available. And so um, we have a lot of that material as spoken format that people can listen to or we have some of that guidance in Braille and things like this. And so coming essentially uh, to Thrive would be a great way of getting started with some of that resources. 
general good gardening advice can be good for everyone as well. So although there are some specifics in how we might support and advise people with disabilities, without doubt, what's good gardening advice is good gardening advice and can work for all of us at times and so again you know gardening isn't necessarily an exclusive thing that we can only do when we're well we can apply some of these top tips and all of that could be potentially useful for people with sight loss we can actually learn a lot from the horticultural industry because they have to garden in a way that's very safe and they also have to garden in a way that's very efficient and that often means that they come up with really good practice and really good processes in gardening that we can follow as well The Royal National Institute of Blind People, the RNIB, and Thrive have masses more useful tips and information about gardening and sight loss. Plus, did you know, The Garden, the RHS monthly magazine, is available on audio CD and USB formats from the RNIB newsagent for a small fee. Call 0303 123 9999 to find out more. That's 0303-123-9999. And finally, if you have time, please do rate and review our podcasts. It really helps other people who love plants to find us and to share knowledge and love of gardening. Well, that's all we have time for today. We hope you'll join us for our houseplant special in a fortnight. Till then, from me, Guy Barter, and all the podcast team, goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.